This is Emmanuel. And this is Trevor. You are listening to Field of Fire, a general War Machine and Hordes podcast. So, this episode, uh, we are going to really bring it home exactly like our logo suggests, with some Crucible Guard in the front and some Menoth in the back. Yep. One flask pouring out a whole lot of fire. <laughs> well, and I think it's really interesting that you are maining Crucible Guard, you play Crucible Guard really competitively, you played them at LVO, uh, you've played them at quite a few tournaments, you've got in the reps with them. Um You've kicked my butt with them quite a few times <laughs> as well. So I know firsthand some of your tactics and some of your favorites, but I would love for you to share that passion with the listeners. So why don't you tell us a little bit about why you play Crucible Guard, some of your favorite casters, and maybe a list or two that you just love to play. Okay, uh, so, oh man, where to start? I love almost everything about Crucible Guard. Um I love the I love the mad science aspect of the fluff. Um, I love you know the whole they don't really do as much magic as other factions. They they have alchemy instead. Uh, but I also I really love the play style. Um, Rocket Men are one of the greatest units Privateer Press has ever put out. I'm just gonna come right out and say it. They're fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're hard to remove. Uh, they've got a decent gun for longer range, but more importantly, they've got bombs that can't miss. Um, it's amazing. But where they really shine is when you can mix them up with some of the other pieces of the faction. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with my very favorite caster in the faction, and maybe my favorite caster in the game, Sylvestro. That dude has an answer for everything. Sylvestro um, is so you. So when Privateer Press first spoiled uh, Crucible Guard, I was actually at work, and Trevor was like, oh my god, did you watch the stream? And I'm like, no. And he said, Gorman faction! And I was like, okay, sure. But then, like, the spoilers came out, and you were so hardcore for them. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they're cool, man. Like, I like it. Thumbs up. And then you started sending me the stuff about Sylvestro. And I've never looked at a card before and gone, oh, they just put Trevor's, like, entire favorite everything on a card. Yeah, like, they, they did. <laughs> they literally were like, Trevor, what would you like in a caster? And then just spoon-fed you that. Yeah. I, I swear I didn't bribe anyone. But if I come across whoever was responsible for Sylvestro, if you're listening, I owe you a beer. Because um, he does everything I want a caster to do. And half of it he does for free. I mean, like, in some matchups, just being able to be like, yeah, purify all your stuff, I pay no focus. That is ball-busting for some things. And that, he's strong. He just does that. <laughs> he's got tools for days. He's got a really, like diverse list of tools too not just like okay i have the scalpel for whatever i need and i think that's one of the things that fits your playstyle. not only is just generally good across the board but very technical and requires proper execution to play like Sylvestro on paper is one of those casters you're like oh obviously you'll win with Sylvestro. he's so strong and then you see how complicated it is on the table to maneuver all the pieces correctly and get all the synergy into place and you go okay I see why he can be so powerful because he can be so technical. Yeah, uh, it's there's a lot of moving parts with Sylvester, but 
really, once you've learned them, it doesn't feel like it's that hard to apply them. It's just figure. It's just learning what needs to be applied at any given time. Like a lot of people go that I've run or come across that uh, go straight to putting uh, transmutation on, defensively on rocket men because oh, defense eighteen rocket men. But mm-hmm. when you do that, you're missing out on the fact that it also provides Pathfinder and Strength. So if you apply it to our dirt cheap medium-based melee infantry, uh, you can very reasonably, with our Dragon Breath rockets and a, and a solo, get them up to, a, I think it's effectively like power strength 19 or 21 or something like that. It's really ridiculous for a 13-point unit. I agree. Uh, so they're your favorite caster and your favorite unit. What are some of your other favorites? What are some of your favorite internal synergies? What are some of your favorite Warjacks? I mean, if I had to pick a favorite Warjack, it would obviously be the Vulcan, but everyone's expecting that. So let me give you my second favorite. It's the Vindicator. <laughs> the, heavy, okay. the heavy defender slash mule style Warjack. That thing is a beast. Um, but you don't see it often enough, in my opinion, because either you're seeing, like, lots of Toros under Locke, or you're seeing just one Vulcan under McKay or Silvestro, or even Gearheart, um, but the the uh, the Vindicator really shines. Like, it is perfectly capable of one-shotting an objective from um, off the top of my head. I think it was, like, 19 inches away or something like that. Because, mm. um, you know, just, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to pop Silvestro feet because it's the turn that I want to do the most damage anyways. Uh, this guy's going to stand still and aim and uh, boosted weapon master pouch 15 or 17 or something like that right into the objective. Uh, off it goes. And that's actually won me several games being able to just be like, yeah, we're just going to two-thirds of your objective with one shot. Get it done. And when you can do that, you know, on turn two before things are gumming you up, it, it can really change the tempo of a game. And if you can set the tempo of a match that early, especially if you're playing a list that's got a lot of guns in it, it goes really well for you. I agree. So, what are some of your other favorite casters in Convergence? Okay. I mean, <laughs> I said Convergence. I mean, Convergence, it's mom and pop, but we're not talking about Convergence today. I, we're talking about Crucible. The other mini, the other mini faction. <laughs> Um, in Crucible Guard, uh, outside of Sylvester, my two favorites are McKay and Gearheart. Um, McKay, of course, runs all the tanks. And she, while I wish she had a hit fix, which is, if she had, if she had a hit fixer, she would be up there with Sylvester for absolute tops. But she doesn't quite bump her tanks up enough to get there. Uh, but she is a blast to play even so. And occasionally just boops a Warcaster to death from you know a mile away. Which is fantastic. Uh, if you can... Like, um, this actually happened not too long ago where um, I had a Scar 3 player who did everything in his power and he, at the end of his turn he's like, you can't shoot me to death. And I was like, yeah, that's correct. And then I... Flared him and cast Boundless Charge and put a heavy, uh, put a uh, Vindicator actually right on her face and that took her like two swings. <laughs> Definitely uh, modern problems with creative <laughs> solutions. Yeah, exactly. And so she's got a she's got a pretty solid toolbox. Um, like I said, I, I'm missing some of the things that make Sylvestro such a powerful caster, but she's way easier to apply also. So if you find Sylvestro to be too hard to get to chew on, she's a really good substitute just for being powerful but simple. 
Now, is McKay your pair for Sylvester, or do you pair him with somebody else? Uh, sometimes she is, but most of the time I actually pair him with Gearheart. Mm, um, and like with Gearheart, I run more of a dedicated gun line, where Sylvester's combined arms list, he's got the rocket men, but he's also got the, uh, he's got the melee infantry, he's got a Vulcan, you know, he's got everything in there to some extent. Uh, with Gearheart, it's like, we're going to bring two shooting heavies, two full units of Crucible Guard infantry, a couple of dragons. We are a strong, solid, nothing but guns list. Mm. Um, but man, Crucible Guard guns can do so much damage. We mentioned this before where, uh, in a, the previous episode where we had, you know, I like to stack synergies. Well, you take a Crucible Guard infantry man and, oh, he's got a power 11 rifle. That's okay. Well, you can pop his uh, pop your hurt's feet to give them prey, so now they're up to 13s. You can spray your target with oil and use their fire shots to give them boosted damage. You can throw on Dragon's Breath rockets so they're pow 15s. And there's, you know, you can just keep stacking these things. Like, you could potentially, if you have Ragman in your list and a good Warjack delivery, you can go Dark Shroud something. Uh, so you can get these guns up to 15, 17 Weapon Master shots, basically. And if they stand, if they get to stand still to aim, which is you know, it's reasonable because he's a snipe caster as well as a dead eye caster that he doesn't spend focus for dead eye. They can, uh, <laughs> they can, uh, I do like those, uh, those are uh, no focus spells. Um, me too. They can, they can shoot twice. They have the long gun or mini feet. Oh, and that's a lot of power 15 boosted guns. I've been on the receiving end of that list. It is brutal. And it's very you. It's very targeted. It's very focused. It has lots of layers of synergy. It defines itself by saying, you might pick the combat line, but I'm going to shoot it to death, and then you get to pick it again. Um, it's also a list that, like, against high aggression uh, speed lists, it tends to get jammed out. Or if a list can wither the fire as it gets across the table... Um, Gearheart's very killable, too, in that he's the one that's not immune to corrosion and fire, right? Actually, this is important for those of you who play against Crucible Guard often. Sylvester is the only one that is. Mm. I guess I played against Sylvester so much, I just assumed they all are. No, nope, just him. Um, as a Legion player, Gearheart is much easier to assassinate for me. Yes, uh, in general, he's much easier to kill. And that's why he's list two. Uh, he's got he he's a skew. Um, he's got some lists he just absolutely stomps on, mm -hmm. um, and then he's got some things he doesn't want to see ever. And Sylvester, on the other hand, he's a generalist list. He can roll into pretty much anything. I am confident of a coin toss into almost every list in the game with Sylvester. Mm. There's just a couple where I'm like I'd rather not. And Gearheart handles most of those pretty well. So what are some things you really don't want to see with Crucible Guard? I hate Tharn. I love Tharn, and I hate Tharn. And the reason I hate Tharn is because while I can take away your Grievous, I can't do it in... Or your Tough and your Rapid Healer, like, I can't do it enough. Um, mm -hmm. And that's saying something, because I can do it more than pretty much anyone else. Um, you know, because if I bring a Vulcan and two Dragon's Breath Rockets, I think it's like a total of like 40 inches or something like that that I can deny healing in. And mm. even then, with Tharn, that's often insufficient to kill enough stuff before I just lose to, just I just lose the attrition game and we're gone. Um, I'm not a huge fan of um, Animag either. Uh, <laughs> I wonder for same, why. For the same reason as the uh, Tharn. Uh, 
there's so much high durability stuff that despite how killy my list is, I can't get enough debuffs out to kill it all. And those lists tend to be hyper-mobile, too. Uh, I think Kalos 1 would also give it some pause in that most of the things you shoot also make Incubi, and then he has the two units of Chosen that are speed 7 that are also hard to shoot at. Um, but there's definitely a match to be played. Yeah, Kalos 1, actually, I've done that one a couple of times against you and against some other Legion players, and that one's usually okay for Silvestro because the Rocketman can really deal with the uh, Incubi mm. problem pretty reliably. Fair enough. Uh, one of my favorite tools into Rocketman is actually Warmongers with uh, Gorag. Uh, because Gorag. he makes them negative two defense for just being able to look at his ugly ass. And then they have so many different ways to stack accuracy. So you can bring the Warchief and give him plus one. And then they get powerful charge and they can get plus two. And then Animag specifically can carnage them and give them plus two. And then you get negative two from Gorag and basically all the defense that you just stacked up, they don't care about. And then they just berserk through all your little guys. Yep, that's uh, that's one to watch. Um, and that's where being able to target prioritize comes in. Mm-hmm. Because once you kill Gorag, that's basically plus two defense I get back. Um once you manage to snipe out, uh, what's his name, with the rock, the, the, the Ogren version of Trollsis, then your spells, you don't get quite as many of them. Uh, and also, once you're not killing my guys as much, she's not getting Ritual Sacrifice, so that's also denying you buffs by just not dying. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's really a, it's, it's a harder match, but it's one that comes down to knowing what to take out first. And I think that's kind of the name with Crucible Guard. Like, you really have to be able to target prioritize and know what can deal with your things and how to scalpel them out, which makes them a whole nother layer of complicated because they're already a complex faction. And now you have to also know your opponent's models really well to be able to utilize those tools correctly. Uh, that's probably true. You beat Haley 2 into me so much back in the day where... We went through that kick where I basically played every popular caster for like 20 or 30 games so I could know what parts needed to fail that I don't notice as much anymore uh, because that was so critical to playing Haley 2 back then uh, and exploiting her feet to maximum effect is knowing, you know, okay, so I've turned you off for a turn. What needs to or- what needs to activate in what order so that you don't get benefits? Uh, it's really just an extension of that kind of knowledge that I already had. I agree. And, you know, that's one of the reasons you've been so successful with them. Uh, yeah, pretty much. It's uh, it's all down to knowing your enemy, basically. That, that, that ancient proverb. So, um, what's next? Is there more in Crucible Guard you want to talk about? Is there anything that you feel like you haven't had a chance to say or maybe a synergy that you want to tell the listeners about? Or is there a list specifically that you're just like, let me tell you about this list. Model for model, this is the list I want to talk about. Uh, no, I think we're good for today. Nobody wants to listen to me spell out models for an hour because I play very infantry heavy and I put a lot of stuff into a list. Well, they're going to get a lot of that because I'm playing Minoth, you're playing Crucible <laughs> Card. It's going to be like reading a preamble every time I go over a list for sure. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Okay, well, I think then we can roll into our next segment. Absolutely. So, why don't you tell me about what you're most excited about in Minoth and going back to it. And uh, start with your casters that you watch right first. 
Oh, man, this one's really difficult. So there are some, like, casters that are bread and butter for me that I really want to play again just because I miss them. Um, obviously, Harbinger, like, is everybody's baby now, but I've been playing Harbinger since, like, she came out. I think it was Apotheosis. Um, I, I remember. Um, there's definitely been a couple of times where I've had to bust out some insane jank to try to break that brick. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, Har Harby's definitely one I expected to hear. I think out of everybody that I've played, you've played against me playing Harby more than any of the other casters, maybe except for Lich 2 or something back in Mark 2. Like, we played a lot of those matches. She kind of defines how I like my playstyle to be, bring a bunch of hard-hitting stuff that never dies. Um, so, without a doubt, I'm going to play some Harbinger. But we can put her aside, because what Minoth player doesn't play Harbinger? Um, <laughs> one of my other favorite casters, both Fluff and in-game is Resnick. Um, I would say if I identified with a, a caster within War Machine, it might be Resnick. And not for all the fiery retribution of Doom. Like, if you read some of the fluff, he's actually very even-tempered. He's very precise because he's the executioner. He's there to follow orders and, and delve out punishment. But in-game... I have played so many games with both Resnick 1 and Resnick 2, so <laughs> Resnick 1 got better in Mark 3, um, but even when he was mediocre in Mark 2, I just couldn't get enough of him, because he's a caster who can um, really make your opponent suffer on the table and synergize well with his models, but in a game himself. I mean, he can give himself engine of destruction and just beat a caster to mm -hmm. death. Uh, and he can tank heavies and stuff, too. I've just wrecked things that have uh, um, uh, upkeep on him, so he's getting purgation, and he's uh, got engine of destruction, and he just whips him to death. Uh, Resnick, too, when he first came out, sucked really bad. Yeah, I, like, uh, yes. I remember you spent like three months trying to make him not suck, and it was, it was a sad time. Uh, it was overall. <laughs> I lost so many games. I'd never had a losing streak that long before, and I, I came to you, Trevor, and said, "I think I might quit War Machine over this. Like, I can't make Resnick work, and it makes me sad." As a cavalryman in the army, like having a, like champion on a chariot, is exactly what I want to play, and. I love the heavily armored knight aesthetic. Everything about Resnick, I like. Um, after Resnick, uh, probably Durst. I know that I want to say Krios here, but I really like Durst, both on the table, uh, attrition-wise. I love his feet. He's got to be the caster who you go, I didn't prepare for this, fuck. <laughs> like, sometimes you did. It's like... It's one thing to say, I have an out for an armor brick. It's another to say you have an out for Durst armor brick, especially with the way his feet works with redirecting attacks, because you can put yourself in a situation where you're like, okay, glance that off to the my heavily armored jack under feet. Glance it off to my heavily armored jack under feet. Okay, you've done enough damage where you think this next thing that's going to come in is kill, going to kill my heavy, but now I'm just letting you kill all the troops instead. Like, it, it can really frustrate opponents. Um... Boundless Charge is one of my favorite spells. Hallowed Avenger is really interesting. Um, he's got D-Cell, and D-Cell's just solid. Mm -hmm. So all around, heavy attrition, heavily armored knight. Um, love his model, love the aesthetic. Um, probably the p caster I'm going to pick up first to play, though, is Sirena. So yes! She's just <laughs> bonkers, man. Oh, that caster is so good. If you were going to get me back into Minoth ever, she would be the model you'd have to buy me. <laughs> uh, 
I look at her card and go, how? Like, everything uh, about her orders I like, all of her spells. She's got Hex Blast, one of my favorite spells. She's got Inviable Resolve, Positive Charge, Rock Wall, and Dash. Um, so she's got a speed buff. She's got an out for upkeeps. She gets basically free every turn one of her three battle plans just to continue the buff. Inviable resolve for an armor buff. Positive charge to kill, make things more killy. And rock wall has got to be one of the best spells for a positioning player. For somebody like myself who really, I think, capitalizes on position on the table, to have a spell that I can just suddenly bring up a wall to make it to where it takes up space where you can't be or makes charges really difficult uh, or even just helps me get up the table with the one specific model I need to deliver. I just love her. Her feet leave something to be desired, but with everything else on her card, you almost feel like you have a feat every turn. Yeah, I I agree. She's She is an outstanding caster. I really look forward to seeing what you do with her. Uh, what theme are you going to play her in? Are you going to play her with exemplars? Are you going to go somewhere a little less orthodox? Well, I think uh, I definitely need to go with exemplars up front just to really stretch my legs and make sure I understand her in and out because there's a lot to her and making sure she applies correctly. Uh, it seems simple enough to play a buff bot, but incorrectly applying things uh, is really common with casters like that. Um, so probably exemplar, and it's a really solid theme too. So there's nothing not to like there. Some of the sleeper casters... Like, especially with the Menoth Archon on the horizon, right? It comes out at the end of this month. Mm -hmm. And it's my second favorite Archon right behind the Morrowind Archon. Um, and the Morrowind Archon almost caused me to buy a whole Signar army. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it, believable. It's super good. It's really value. For eight points, what it does is great. But in Menoth, I really like the... Um, Menite Archon. It's a blender. It hits like a heavy. It's got a lot of versatility. It's got a Thresher Grievous Wounds attack. Um, and I think that there's some synergy within the faction that people aren't going to necessarily take uh, for face value. Fiora 1, for example, right? So Fiora 1, I don't even remember the last time I saw Fiora 1 on the table. Do you? Um, when was the last time I played Minoff? <laughs> Right, But one of the things I really like about Fiora is that she just freely sets everything on fire. So if you want your Menai Archons to go in there and wreck face, you just set everything on fire. Now they're all pre-marked, and they can go in there and destroy a heavy. Um, she also has Engine of Destruction, previously mentioned to help you anchor games. I think Hexhammer is an interesting spell into the Oblivion meta, especially when you're looking at things like um, Infernals having tons of solos that all cast spells. Well, and, and, um, and also their cultists, who want, all their cultists. who want to use magic to try to keep essence on the horse. Yep, and suddenly Hexhammer's D3 is getting a lot of value. Uh, Ignite is really good to help you push through armor, especially if you're having to play that attrition game to beat down free beasts. Um, and Wall of Fire, you know, isn't as good as Rock Wall. It's not going to give you the same kind of positioning, but it can certainly make your opponent think before they put things certain places because not wanting to have them on fire, especially if you're like, all right, if you want to stand here, you're going to be on fire. But directly adjacent to that are my Midnight Archons. So if you are now on fire, you have just given me free dots for them to come in there and kill you. So Fiora 1 is on my radar. 
I also look at Malakis in that same kind of view, and that I think there's a lot of room for him to bring a couple Archons and a really heavy fire list and just be your answer for troops so that you can play something like Exemplar Interdiction with all the... Um, with all of the exemplars that are weapon masters that just tear through armor, and then your second list is just Malachis or Fior one, and it's like, oh, you brought troops? I'm sorry. <laughs> um, that sounds pretty gross. And then I think, lastly, like honorable mention to Durant, just because he was the last caster to come out right as I was transitioning out of Minoth, and he has Hand of the Creator, which has got to be one of the best healing spells in the whole game. Um, Manifest Destiny, which I think may be a little too strong on Minoth, uh, Jax. And then he's got an efficiency feat that you were talking about liking free spells. I love anything that gives free spells. It's one of my favorite things about Animag, right? Because she just nets free stuff. And anytime you get something for free, you can really push that value. Um, and his feat gives him and his Jax free focus. And I think in a faction that can very easily also hand out additional focus and then giving him the ability to either cast his spells for free, quote-unquote, or can continue to cast spells like Chasen. Um, I think he has an honorable mention in there. I'm going to have to get in there and, and kind of root around with that. Uh, that would be awesome. I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Um, so you've got the Phoenix Open coming up, right? So who are you thinking about taking to your Phoenix Open out of the Minoth casters here, if you're bringing Minoth? Well, I have to get everything at least built by then. <laughs> and there's a lot to build. I got um, If I were going to play Minoth at the Phoenix Open, chances are it would probably be something like Sirena and maybe uh, Malakis just to give me a really excellent attrition, hard-hitting list, and then a list with lots of guns and fire and troop hate. All right, that makes sense. Um, so um, Irina's got Hex Blast for an out for spells and lots of answers, and then Malachis brings lots of problems. Yeah, exactly, and that definitely sounds like your play style, too, with... Uh... You've got Sirenia that is going to do most of your stuff, and then you're going to have Malachis to ask questions instead of try to deliver answers. Definitely. And I think one of the things that I noticed, and I, I was very actually vocal about this during the CID process, is that I felt looking at the way the tiers landed, the way they were pushing Infernals, the way the game was developing, I felt like they were trying really hard to push single wound troops back into the game. They're trying to put specifically living single wound troops back into the game so that there's more things for soul mechanics to collect, and the game has all of these mechanics in it that need you to bring models for them to function. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I, even like you were talking about playing Connie B on our um, pilot episode, and the amount of gross work that the uh, Legion of Lost Souls can do scares me. And you need to have an out for that. And Minoth having lots of magic weapons certainly goes a long way. But troops are going to be a problem, and I think having an answer for them will certainly be a good uh, tool coming up. Not that it wasn't before, but I think we're going to start seeing more troop skews come back. Right, and I think uh, part of that's going to be uh, Tharn is not quite as scary as it was before. Mm -hmm. Although, I'm not going to say it's bad. It's still way up there at the top for lists, but it's also not quite at the, uh, or at least 
from what I've been seeing in a couple of games I've seen with it played, it's not quite up there with the might as well scoop your stuff that it was before. Well, and as a Menoth player and a Legion player, I certainly look at what I'm doing in Legion and going, how can I answer that in Menoth? And Ravens of War is really good. It just got a great revamp. And having an answer for a troopless like that is going to require some specific solving because now Legion has two themes that can give you free incubi. So people are taking anywhere from 5 to 15 free incubi and they have a caster who creates incubi and now they have multiple lists that can pop them out of low cost troops. I mean, we have them popping out of croak graders now, we have them popping out of hex hunters, we have them popping out of all the grotesques. Um, Blight Blades and Striders. It's it's a crazy time in Legion. And so as a Menoth player, I go, okay, I need to have certain tools to be able to protect myself, and I also need to be able to deal with lists that will just shove troops down your throat all game and make you clock over trying to kill them. Hey, you're not supposed to be, like, pre-solving my Lucant list before it ever even plays, man. <laughs> <laughs> Not my intention, but uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that soon as we come up uh, on the I-5 uh, tournament you have coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else in Minoth you wanted to touch on? Any any interesting synergies or uh, theme lists you think are getting quite the love they need to be getting in terms of from the community that, you know, sleep hitters basically? I don't know. Like, there's still a lot of room for me to experiment with. Everything looks good to me. Like, there, it's there's a buffet and I'm going to eat it all. Um, the one thing that I would say is that when I polled the Minoth community, when I reached out to them and I was like, okay, what are people playing? What's going on right now within the faction? What are some of our strong lists? The answers were so carbon copied that I could literally look at one uh, of my messages on Facebook and then click through and see the same list on three or four different messages. I could ask people about pairings and get like the same three casters over and over and over again. And I know that we're in that post-Oblivion meta where it's kind of shifting sands and everybody's still figuring out how requisition points work, especially since we have like a tier that or a theme that allows us to get a seven point requisition free shield guard unit. Um, it's hard for people to pull themselves away from those things. But I don't tend to be one of those kind of players that plays one the same thing a lot of other people are playing. But also, I don't typically just prescribe to, well, this is good, so keep playing it. I want to look at the meta and say, what do I need to solve and how can I solve it? And that's probably what you'll see a lot of me experimenting with, is things that I think that other people are going to bring against me. So how can I prepare for that? Because within the faction, it's really strong. You don't necessarily need to do a lot of fine-tuning to take two strong man off lists and beat the shit out of somebody with them. Um, but going to War Machine Weekend in the LCQ, that's a that's a gauntlet man like if you want to test yourself as a player do that it, going into any champions or masters format is going to bring its own unique problems and I like to solve them in advance and say okay I've thought about this matchup um, kind of like that Batman mentality right um, if I prepare enough for something then I'm prepared for everything and over time I just continue to prep 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 so that I always have kryptonite in my belt but outside of that, I tend to like latch on to things, too. Once I find an idea or a concept that I want to explore, you might hear about it for a little while because I'm going, I might beat that horse dead. Because I 
find something and then I get really good at playing it too. I think a lot of people will look at things for space value and say, I've played 10 games with this. Great. Then you have scratched the surface at understanding how that list functions. Once you hit like the 50 game mark, and I know people are going, <gasps> who plays 50 games? Like with the same <laughs> list? But wh- I mean, really, when you play two to three games a week, if possible, sometimes back to back, and then you play that same list for a couple months, you can achieve some really good numbers. And when you start getting into the 20s, you that's when you start making tweaks and going, oh, now I understand the matchups for this list. Because it's one thing to say, I understand a list. It's another thing to say, I understand how to play a list. It's a completely different thing to understand how a list functions matchup to matchup, and then to know what are your favorite matchups versus your unfavorable matchups, and you only learn that through table time. You can take the best list from any convention and turn around and try to play it, and if you don't have that knowledge, you won't be able to execute it the way they did. That's so, exactly correct. That's kind of where I'm at right now with Manoth, is just trying to find what it is that I want to accomplish with them. I like it. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it and looking forward to hearing about once you start getting them on the table and where your experiences take you and what you see that the community's nailed spot on and what you see that, hey, maybe we should take a different look. Well, I fly back next week and all of my boxes will be waiting for me. And as soon as they are, I'm going to build them up. I've got a 4 by 4 at my house and I'm going to be inviting players to play games. So within the next time we podcast, I'll probably have 10 games with a couple lists. Sounds great. Any last words before we wrap this up? Thanks for listening. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who's tuned in so far. Make sure to tell other people to come listen to us because we want to do this not just as a resource for the community, but also as just a positive outreach. Um, Trevor and I really like War Machine. We really like the community, and we want to see it thrive. So if there's anything we can do to make these podcasts better for you, or if there's ways that we can help integrate into what you're doing or that vice versa you can help integrate to what we're doing, feel free to reach out because – A community only grows with people banding together. I don't think I can say anything better than that. Thanks for listening, guys. This has been Feel the Fire, a War Machine General podcast.